0: Oh, you i <laughs>
1: chapter 5, verse 8. says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And before you and I were where you are today, in a place where you and I were rebelling against God, maybe wanted nothing to do with him, Jesus died for you and I in this world, even then. And we can love people that love us, right? But how about dying and giving your life for people that even despise you. What an incredible thing he has done. Amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Uh, as the ushers come, we're going to receive this morning's tithe and offering. We're going to worship God in our giving. And Jesus is teaching in Matthew 6 and 7, and really 5, 6, and 7. In verse 24, he says this, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And uh, what a powerful, powerful scripture. You know, that's one of the benefits uh, that you are taking advantage of today. And I want to, you know, just, just because we never do this, give yourself a hand for being... In God's house today with his people. Give yourself a hand. Good job. Well done. And some some days it's so much easier to stay home, right? So much easier, but you're here. And one of the benefits you and I receive from being in a place like this is we have the opportunity to be, to be challenged and reminded in our giving because we we can't serve two masters. And that's something that without reminders in this life, Uh, it's easy to do. We're going to serve one or we're going to serve the other. And giving is the antidote for that. So, Lord, thank you that we get to be here today. Thank you that worshiping together gives us opportunity to be reminded that, God, you are Lord. You are King, just like we've been singing. And I pray that in this offering, you would receive all that worship in Jesus' name. Amen. have your bulletin today. Make sure you grab that, aware of some in, uh, some information here. Uh, two things for our kids ministry. We've got uh, camp deposits are due next Sunday. And just a, a promo for camp. Um, I met my wife at camp, okay? And didn't that blow you away, Kenny? He, he's shaking his head. He can't believe it. And, uh, and God actually had an opportunity for I would be still and listen and my call to ministry was at camp. So send your kid to camp. Really good things happen whether they're young or they're older. send them there. But kids camp deposits are due. And then make sure you're aware of the uh, deadlines for registration for our, our this year's VBS. The sign is out on the road. Be aware of that. Make sure you go online. Register them for that. Uh, camp balance for youth camp is due today. So next Sunday, the the deposit for kids camp. But this Sunday, the balance for youth camp is due. Make sure you either hand it to me or get it uh, marked appropriately in the offering. Uh, the joy group, just older youth. Okay, the joy group. So if you if you're just generally happy, this isn't. You have to be just older to be a part of this one. And uh, it has even though they are joyful. Uh, but June twenty fifth. Uh, make sure you're aware of that, and that's going always going to be a great time, I am sh- certain. And then our Wednesday night Bible studies, of course, are happening. Uh, We've got ministry for your whole family here at the church, and, uh, but make sure, especially, the nine ways to connect with God, Sacred Pathways is our study for this, uh, this coming Wednesday night. I'd like to take a moment and just recognize our graduates. Um, if you're here... And I call your name. Just stand where you're, where you're seated. That'd be wonderful if you can just stand there. Uh, Clay Allen, uh, Lydia Getty, Anna Trotman, Trey Wilson, Zachary Furr, Maya Allen, Will Moncrief, Micaiah Ojo, Zachary Vivakis, and Ian Vivakis. Would you give them a hand this morning? And, and just, if you could remain standing, just, just keep, yeah, just stand up, just, just for a second, just for a second. Um, some of them are graduating from high school. Um, others are, uh, have earned degrees, and they're actually going to further t- to another degree, but some have graduated, and, and that'll be the, the end of their formal education. But uh, we just want you to know, as a, as a church, how proud we am, uh, how proud we are, we am, how proud we am. Who needs to go back to school, huh? How proud we are of you. And uh, this can be very difficult to accomplish what you've accomplished. And so we just want to pray for you this morning and just remind you that we're going to have a really good luncheon after at 1130, we're going to start eating over in the high school life group room across from the kitchen. Just remember you and your family, um, as I've contacted everyone to remind you that you are welcome Uh, Actually, you better be there, or there's going to be a lot of food left over. Uh, But we want to pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. God, I thank you for seasons in our life, uh, seasons that can be very challenging at times, seasons that seem to drag and sometimes just fly by. And Lord, I'm so uh, proud of each one here, their accomplishments. Lord, some have not only graduated, but they've graduated with high honors, the highest honors. And I pray that in these days to come, that you would give them wisdom for next steps, that you would give them insight into the future that you have for them. And Lord, I pray that most of all, most of all, that they would be young men and young women that continue in their future following you, honoring you with their choices, with their life. Bless them today. Lord, uh, make uh, crooked places straight. Lord, make rough places smooth. Bless them and go before them. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. God bless you guys.
2: Yeah, Pastor Hans, thank you so much for lightening the mood with a gaff. Because while you were giving announcements, I was zoning out, okay? So I have to, I have to come clean. Um, you talked about joy group and my mind went off somewhere because you know joy group it doesn't mean just a happy group of christians though they are they're almost crazy and that that became an acronym in my mind crazy not joy group just older youth as the joy group these are happy crazy seniors and i thought we call them the crazy group christians radical radical and zealous for yahweh crazy c-r-a-z-y so anyways, that's where I was going. And I don't know, did you make an announcement about Ladies' Convention? You forgot. Okay, so whoa. All right. So, so I didn't go that far astray. Um, yeah, Sherry Lipscomb is not here today. She wanted me to make this note. As you know, the Ladies' conventions in November. But there are 5,000 women who go to this every year. And it's basically once it's shut off, it's shut off. You can't get in. So ladies, you know, those of you especially have been before, you know the routine. If you're planning on going, you need to see Jeannie Vifakis today or Sherry next week, but let them know soon because I believe early bird registration ends July twenty-seventh. So you have just about a month. Can you believe that? For a November event, but it's so popular, it's so well attended that we need to get in early. And I know a lot of you like to stay at the Hershey Lodge and not at some other property. So um, if just begin thinking about ladies, if you're interested in going, it is. I haven't. I was going to say I haven't been there, but actually we have been there, haven't we? Do I remember we were looking at the property, and it was the same weekend as as uh, Rangers were looking at a possible event there, and um, we got to see all that. I couldn't believe how packed it was. So again, keep that in your mind for the ladies. And now on to even more important things. This morning we had the pleasure of dedicating a cute little young girl to the Lord in dedication. Her name is, and I've been, man, I've been struggling with this. I want to say it one way and it's Aria, right? Aria, okay, because I keep wanting to say something else and I'm not going to, because then I'll I'll remember it that way. Her name is Aria Elizabeth Gazdia and I'd like for her and her mom and dad and any friends and family members who like to come and join us right here at the front of the church, And she is, is she about eight months old or older than Just, Just turned eight months. So I don't want to start using this term, but she's one of the pandemic babies. Hello. She's checking me out. She says, what am I doing? Why is that man staring at me? I'm glad she's got a big brother to take care of her too. Learn a lot of things from him, aren't you? Yeah, all you need is that first one. And then the others, they learn so fast. So... I think most of us know that in our church, we, um, we don't baptize babies um, in evangelical churches. We dedicate children and little babies to the Lord. And the reason is because the Bible actually teaches us that baptism, baptism by water immersion is reserved for those who have made a profession of faith, that they've decided to follow Christ. They've asked God to forgive them of all their past, all their sins, and to come into their hearts and their lives. And, of course, a little child isn't aware of, really, their sins or their situation, their condition before the Lord. And so, we follow a formula that is found in the Old Testament. And it's recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And here's what it says. It says, After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, basically an offering, and brought him to the house of the Lord of Shiloh. And when they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. And so now I give this child to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. And likewise, these parents here this morning, standing before us today, are grateful for God's provision of a little one in their life. And they have brought their young daughter here today to be dedicated or given to the Lord. In a few moments, they're going to pledge to raise Aria for God, to live as godly examples before her, to help her to develop spiritually, and ultimately to honor the Lord all of her life. And I'd like for you, the congregation, to also be in support. We are a church family. We are a body, a local body of Christ. And we need to support this family and to realize that we all have a responsibility to be an example for this little girl. Jesus warned us very pointedly that we ought not cause even a little one to stumble. I want you to listen to exactly what he said. This is Matthew eighteen six. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. And so I want to ask all of you to stand with me now as uh, we prepare for this act of dedication. And Brandon and Lauren, I have three questions for you very simply, and I've asked you this before. (laughs) So, Brandon and Lauren, in the sight of God and in the presence of these witnesses, do you solemnly promise to bring up this child in the fear and admonition of the Lord? If so, say we do. we do. Do you promise to seek to lead her to accept Jesus Christ as her own Savior and Lord? If so, say we do. We do. do you promise to live before her consistent and godly lives? If so, then say we do. we do. Okay. And based upon your confession, I want to take little Aria and we're going to pray for you. Okay. Look at that. You're good. Yeah, said, okay, but we've got to go fast. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for a little Aria, Lord. I thank you for her life. I thank you for bringing her into this family. I thank you for loving her. God, I thank you that you have a plan for her and a purpose. And Lord, I pray your blessing in her life, Lord, that she would fulfill your, pur- your purpose. Lord, as we dedicate her to you, in Jesus' name. And Lord, now we hand her back to her parents. <laughs> That's a cue. <Q. laughs> and Father, we... We pray for Brandon, Lord, and God. Continue to give them wisdom as parents. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the on-the-job training they've already had with their son. And now, Lord, it's going to continue. And I pray that you would bless them. Lord, give them a real peace. Give them a confidence, Lord, to, to raise Aria for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, honey. Amen. Hey, let me give you something. somebody. Okay, God bless you guys. Well, I want us to continue today in our study or series on marriage and to bring some clarity to our relationship as husband and wife. Um, I've said it repeatedly from the start of the series that there's an awful lot of confusion out there in our world today, far too much confusion concerning the duties and the responsibilities of a husband and a wife. And, and therefore, I, want to believe, I, I believe that there's an equal amount of frustration that accompanies that. Confusion and frustration go hand in hand. And so I sincerely hope that what I share with you, okay, today as in weeks past, is going to prove helpful. To every one of you, both those of you who are married, as well as those of you who may someday be married. And you know what? If you're someone who knows that marriage is not in your future, I still want you to to listen into this, okay? I want you to invest in this because there may be a time in in the future where a married friend of yours is going to need to know what you have heard. They're going to need to know what the word says about marriage, what it is to be a wife and what it is to be a, a husband. And, you know, that's really the wonderful thing about the Word of God, about the Bible. It's it's referred to as a sword, right? The sword of the Spirit. Actually, in Hebrews, it is considered to be as precise as a surgeon's scalpel. And I like the way this passage reads. It's Hebrews 4.12 tells us that God's Word, listen to this, God's Word is able to divide soul and spirit. It It can divide soul and spirit joints and marrow and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart that's powerful that is powerful God's word is precise and anyone of it anyone can use it in our own lives as well in our, as in our desire to help those around us we can we can use it for ourselves we can use it for others and so again this morning my topic is this what is a husband Last Sunday, we consider what is a wife. This morning, what is the role of a husband? Or better yet, let's look at the character of a husband. And both Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 and Ephesians 5 verse 31 tell us that a man, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now, I'm aware that I've already touched on this briefly a few weeks ago, but but I, I cannot emphasize to you enough the need, especially among young men today, newlywed men, to grasp this concept of leaving and cleaving. Because I look around, I look at our society today, and sometimes even in the church I've seen this, but I'm appalled at the reluctance of young men today to accept the responsibility that comes with the title of husband. A husband is someone who leaves and cleaves. And the word that the Apostle Paul uses in Ephesians is significant. Because the word that he uses for leave in the New Testament Greek is katalepo, which means to abandon. It's a rather strong word choice. But it carries with it the connotation of leaving mom and dad's home and never going back. Complete abandon. To abandon, to never look back. And yet I'm amazed today at how many married men Who sometimes become divorced men wind up back in their childhood home, living on the sofa, living in the basement, whatever. They're with mom and dad again. And you know, for me, that would be absolutely humiliating. But I have met these young guys, and they honestly, some of them don't seem to mind. And it almost seems like they they got married with this backup plan in their pocket that mama's going to take care of him again and, you know, put food on the table and do his laundry all over again. You see, the whole idea of leaving and cleaving demands that the young man not marry until he's ready to be responsible. A young man should not even think about pursuing, a young man should not even think about marrying a rib until he has grown a backbone. Because you see, according to the Bible, when a man gets married, he is to abandon his childhood home, and then he is to cleave to his wife. And that too is an interesting word choice. The Apostle Paul used this Greek word proskaleo, which means to glue. You're to abandon, and then you're to be glued to this wife. The husband and wife are to be glued together. And I'm not talking Elmer's school glue. And those of you old enough, remember how good that paste tasted? First grade, second grade. But I'm talking, again, it's not, it's, not, it's not the kind of glue that can easily come apart. But rather, it's more like the old-fashioned airplane and car model glue, which I believe is probably illegal. You probably can't buy it. I have a little tube at home, and I'm holding on to it. But when you used that old airplane glue and you put a piece, a little bit of glue on both pieces, you put them together, it didn't just glue them together, it melted them. It welded those two pieces of polystyrene together. Because I remember goofing up on some models as a kid and you could not take them apart without ruining what you were trying to do. You'd really do some serious damage. And so because of this, let me suggest to you that this is precisely why divorce hurts so badly. This is why God says... That he hates divorce. He doesn't hate divorcees. He hates divorce because of the pain. Because it leaves everyone hurting. It leaves everyone mangled and mutilated, jagged and cut edges. Just again like that analogy of, a, of an airplane model or a car model. Man, A man is to abandon his parents and he is to be glued or welded together with his wife for all his life forsaking all others accepting full responsibility for both the financial and the emotional support of that relationship and I know that that's a tall order but the husband is called to be the head of his wife and I'm not making this stuff up this isn't something that I dreamt up the apostle Paul wasn't wasn't some kind of New Testament chauvinist this is in fact God's words this is God speaking to man and he says in Ephesians five twenty three, and you can read it for yourself We've sampled a piece of it. The man is to take the leadership role because God has designated the man as the one who is to bear the responsibility. And folks, I'm so weary. I'm just so weary of seeing men today who want to live like Peter Pan and just never grow up. All kinds of toys and gadgets, selfishness in their hearts. And the truth is, guys, and I'm speaking to all the guys here, it's not easy being a man. But that's our calling. And there's nothing we can do to change it. You don't have to become a husband, but you're still a man. And if we choose to become a husband, then we have no choice but to commit to that added responsibility. Now, you all know that every now and then I like to give honor to my earthly dad, although he's no longer here, although he was far from perfect. I mean... Uh, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't one to be at my basketball games. He wasn't at my school concerts. Yet I admired my dad for supporting his family so well financially. That doesn't mean we're, we were wealthy. But he supported our family against some incredible odds. Most of you already heard this before, but I love bragging on him. You see, he was born of Italian immigrants about a year after they landed at Ellis Island. He spoke broken English. He was illiterate. He quit school as a young boy when he was about eight or nine years old, third or fourth grade. And he did it so he could go to work to help his immigrant parents survive. They never learned English. And up until he was 79 years of age, this man left his home every morning at 5 a.m. And usually did not return home until eight o'clock at night, 79 years old, 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day. When he was younger, he'd work 18 to 20 hours a day, six days a week. You see, all he had was but a fourth grade education. And he had nine other mouths to feed most of his life besides his own. My father understood responsibility. He didn't know the Lord. All those years, he didn't know the Lord. But you know what? He also didn't stop off at the bar on the way home. He came right home hungry, dirty, exhausted, and not only did he never buy any big boy toys like some people do, but he, you know, he never bought himself anything. I never saw him buy himself anything. He wouldn't even buy himself lunch. When I worked with him on his rubbish truck, he would get us lunch, but he, would never, he just wouldn't eat. He wouldn't buy himself anything. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm not trying to deify this guy. He was just, as, you know, just average, but, but he was responsible. That is the character of a man. He'll go without. We were talking in the office this week about something. And and you do see this playing out in Ukraine. The women and the children have all left as refugees. The men have stayed home to fight. Whether they had any training or not, they stayed home to fight. That's a man. They're going to pay that price. They're going to be responsible. They're not going to run away. For what it's worth, back to my dad... He finally retired at, age, retired at age 89. He went to heaven at age 95 because he got saved. And he would have been 109 years old this past March. And so, fellas, if you're going to be married, then you need to learn to leave and to cleave. And let's, let's consider Ephesians 5.25, moving along to the second piece of the character of a man. And Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives. And again, this too is a heavy responsibility. A husband is one who leaves and cleaves, and he's also one who loves his wife. And boy, we love to throw that word around. Uh, love, you know, the word love. We, we love football. We love pizza. We love ice cream. We love our wives. You know, it's all, all goes hand in hand. How many of you guys really love your wife? Hallelujah, honey. (laughs) I'm it's okay. This sermon gets better. I'm gonna have a great afternoon. Now this one, don't raise your hands. How many don't again don't raise your hands? But how many of you love your wife as Christ loved the church? And there's a difference. And you know our, language, our English language does not. Our English language does not help us much in understanding that truth. You know, even the Spanish language gets it right. You know, in the Spanish tongue, you cannot love ice cream. That's absurd. That'd be a crazy thing to say. I love ice cream. In Spanish, ice cream can bring you pleasure, right? Con mucho gusto. But when it comes to love, it is te amo i love you the object of love in almost every other language around the world the object of love in almost every other language of the world has to be a person it's never a thing you know i love in in, in english i love i love going there i love doing this i love you don't do that in other languages In the New Testament Greek, there are at least three types of love. There is eros, which is physical love, intimate love. There is philios, which is friendship. We talked about that last week concerning wives. And then there is agape. Agape is godlike love. It's unconditional love. And the Greek New Testament has these three choices. Again, in the English language, we have one. But God so moved the Apostle Paul to tell husbands that they are to love their wives with agape love. Remember last week, the older women were to teach the younger women to filios their wives, their husbands, to filios their husbands, to love their husbands as a friend because husbands need a friend. This week, speaking to the men, he tells us that we are to agape our wives. In other words, an unconditional, godlike love. And it's truly amazing. Ephesians 5.25. Men are told to agape their wives. Not to eros their wife. We'd love to, but we're not to. Well, you know. Somebody get me a cappuccino quick. That comes naturally. The eros love comes naturally. The specific word choice here is to love with an unconditional love. And I'm telling you guys, that is a tall order. That is truly heavy because it's all too easy to be selfish. It's easy to hold a grudge. It's easy to keep score. It's easy to want what you want when you want it. But the word of God tells us specifically that we are to love her with an agape love, a godlike love, an unconditional love. And, and again, get this, the, uh, the word agape that's used, used here for love in this passage is in the imperative. And what that means is that it is commanded. If something's in the imperative, it is commanded. It's not a suggestion. Husbands are commanded to love their wives unconditionally, just as God does, just as Jesus loves us, the church. The apostle John described Jesus' love this way. In 1 John 3, 16, John said, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And Jesus had had said the same thing previously in John 15, 13, when he said, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you know, in both references, when it says, you know, how much he loves us, agape is the word choice for love here. Selfless, unconditional, godlike love. And here's another interesting uh, word choice that I want to point out to you. When it talks about Jesus laying down his life for his friends, the traditional word in scripture and in the Greek language is zoe. That's the, that's the normal word that a person would use for life. is zoe. But that's not the one that's used here. When Jesus talks about laying down his life, he uses another word. It's very interesting. He uses the word suke. Suke, psyche, which means soul. In other words, he's not just giving his life on the cross. He's not just, not only will, his, will, the, will the blood flow and his heart stop, He's not just giving his life, but he is laying down everything that he is. He's laying down his soul, not just his physical being, but his soul. And the soul being his personality, his opinions, his preferences. And you see, in that, Jesus gives us a model in that. You see, when we get married, we are to be willing to love in such a way that we lay down everything. That we would be willing to submit to one another, Ephesians 5. Husbands and wives are to respect and to submit to one another. And that can be hard to do at times. You know, she wants to watch home and garden TV. You want to watch football. She wants to watch QVC for bargains. You want to watch football. She wants to watch that cooking show, but you want to watch football. And guys right there, loving her means laying down your soul. Or simply going in the other room to watch the game. But Ephesians 5, let's go back there. Ephesians 5, verse 28 and 29, tell us about feeding and caring. Listen to this. Ephesians 5, 28. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Now, the King James Version uses the word nourishes and cherishes. Being a husband means laying aside our own preferences for the sake of nourishing and cherishing the one whom we are now glued to. Now, the dictionary definition of a husband is one who is married to a wife. That's still in the dictionary. That's the definition of a husband when it's used as a noun. A husband is one who is married to a wife to a wife but when it's used as a verb it means to value or to conserve or to manage resources if you are to husband something again as a verb to husband not be a husband but to husband a related version of this is the word husbandry which is caring for crops or livestock which involves caring and nurturing, right? So you see, the best job description of a husband is probably best understood in the form of a verb. A husband is one who nurtures and nourishes his wife. And then the same chapter, Paul states that all of this is a profound mystery. Now, that doesn't get us off the hook, guys, but it is hard for us to understand. And yet the bottom line is this. If two have become one, then I need to learn, I ought to learn, to know how to care for her just as I would care for myself. And again, pretty heavy stuff. Now, let me give you a couple of practical ways to learn to love her agape, your wife. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And once again, I want you to know agape is used in that verse along with the admonition not to be harsh. King James Version uses the word bitter. It can also be translated critical. So husbands, love your wives, but don't be critical. We're being told here not to entertain a critical spirit against our wives. And guys, I've met some men who are absolutely brutal, constantly assessing and critiquing their wives. Don't do it. You see, Ephesians 5.28 tells us that if you love your wife, you love yourself. Guys, if you really love yourself, you're going to love your wife. If you tear down your wife, you're tearing yourself down. 1 John four eighteen, another verse, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Now, I know, you know, some wives, there may be some wives out there that walk around on eggs wondering what kind of mood their husband's going to be home when they both get home. Now, the way I, the way I would have said that 40 years ago is what mood will he be home when he gets home? Now, you're out there all day, both of you, you both get home same time, but you still don't know what mood he's going to be in. What a terrible thing for anyone to have to live under. Is he going to be happy? Is he going to be joyful? Is he going to be you know, ready to rip into me? Perfect love has no room for fear. And it has the ability to cast out fear. And I would hope there are no men here in this church to go home and bully their wives. Instead, according to what God has said, you are to agape your wife. We're running out of time. Let me give you a couple more references. 1 Peter 3, verse 1 through 7. We looked at this last week. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. This is the part we didn't read last week. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, obviously, I want to focus on verse 7, okay? Since we're studying the responsibilities of a husband this morning, and we've already looked at this passage pertaining to the ladies last week, a husband, we are told here, is to give honor to his wife. Now, although she is referred to here as the weaker vessel in this passage, that is primarily referring to her physical strength. Regardless of the physical differences between male and female, we're told here that the husband should value her. The word used here for respect can also be translated as honor. The New Testament Greek word that's used here is time, which means money paid or value, being precious or priceless. We're to honor her because of her incredible value. Which immediately brings me back, in my mind, to to Proverbs 31. The Proverbs 31 woman who, in verse 10, listen to this, is being described as being worth far more than rubies. Doesn't that express value? And rubies are the most priceless gem. Not diamonds, rubies. Verse 11 says that he, her husband, has full confidence in her and therefore lacks nothing of value. So doesn't she have value? And so, fellows, what I'm saying is this. You need to consider the value of your wife. What is she worth? What does she add to your life? The Proverbs 31 husband says, lacks nothing with this kind of wife. And so I want to encourage you to set aside some time. And this is hard to do. But guys, men, young men, set aside some time and think about her worth. And then tell her, why you value her. Because you know what? Like all people. Wives want to be valued. They want to be acknowledged. They want to be praised. And I, I know that using the word praised. Sounds funny. Because we usually think only in terms of giving praise to God. But you, you know. I want you to know. It's okay to praise your wife. Proverbs thirty one twenty eight. Listen to this. Her husband's. Her, excuse me. Her children arise. And call her blessed. And her husband also. And he praises her. That's right out of the word of God. He praises her. And then there's another passage. Proverbs 27.2 says that it's okay for us to praise others. Just not we ourselves. Don't go bragging on yourself. And I know what some men are thinking. I mean if I praise her. Isn't she going to get a big head? I want to respond to that in two ways. First, your wife is not a man, so she's not capable of getting a big head. Now, listen, I've learned this, not from the word, but from experience. Secondly, and guys, experiment with this. Try it on your wife and see what happens. Try it on your wife and see what happens. And here's something that's worked for me, okay, to do this assessment, to remember the value, her worth. Here's something that worked for me. And assessing everything my wife has ever done or added to my life over the years. All I need to do is take a a family video, just pop a DVD in and just watch her in action with the kids and me. Or maybe grab an old photo album. I'm sure some of you still have them. And just look at the photos and you'll see all the ways that she has improved your life. I mean, I do it. I can see how she's made my life better. She's made, I mean, she's, she's done so much for our children, our grandchildren. I mean, every year, we just, we just wrapped this up this morning. But my wife got this crazy idea years ago. It's going to kill us if we keep doing this. But it's, it's grandma's... Can't hear you. Somebody yell it out. Super summer fun extravaganza. There you go. Super summer fun extravaganza. It's 48 hours. The Marines call it Hell Week. Okay. <laughs> But it's 48 hours with the grandchildren, six grandchildren, sunup to sundown and even in sundown because they fall out of bed and they wet the bed and they get hungry in the middle of the night and they know that grandma and grandpa are going to give them anything they want. I caught one of the guys doing parkour in our family room. How I many you know what parkour is? Apparently not too many of you. It's where you don't touch the floor. You walk from coffee table to sofa to lamp table to... It's like they would never do that at home. But they feel the freedom to do it at my house. So when this, serv- when this service is over... I, listen, I don't care what the emergency is. Don't text me. Don't call me. I am going to bed. Okay? <laughs> But grandma loves doing this. She and, and you know what? The kids love it. That's why she does it. The kids love it. It's nonstop summer camp. I mean, there isn't even time to take a breather. I'm looking for an escape. I can't can't find one. I go around the corner and she's looking for reinforcements. But those are great memories. I mean, I value that. I val- honey, I really do. I value it. it it's, we can't keep doing this, but it, <laughs> it's just, it's a killer. And the kids are just going to get older. And you know when you, I mean, you're trying to outthink them. Like, what's the, we, we took them to the park yesterday after the rain stopped. What is the fascination? We're in the park. These are trees and turtles and fish. What's the fascination with a porta potty Leave the door alone. Don't touch it. Don't go near. It's like, you know, it just... It's like one goes there and they all got to go. Like, wow, they've never seen a porta potty. Next year, I'm going to pull one in the backyard. That'll keep our bathrooms cleaner. No, but she's seriously, she's been a tremendous... Thanks for letting me vent. I needed that so bad. I needed it so bad. But she's been a tremendous mother to our children. Birthday after birthday, Christmas after Christmas, and now... Two days every summer. Milestones in their development. She's always given her very best. And she's truly made our house a home. And she's made five individuals into a very special family. And then, of course, a son-in-law came along and a couple daughters-in-law and grandchildren have been added, seven so far. You see, looking back helps me to see more clearly how much she's worth. And now and then I tell her, but not, not often enough. That's the truth. Not often enough. And you know what? I want to say this too. As many times I have told her, <laughs> her head's the same size. Yeah, check it out later. <laughs> and I've also spent time thinking about her character and what I appreciate about her most. And This is amazing. Probably the first thing, believe it or not, the first thing is her name. Her name from the Greek language means pure. Kathy is from the Greek katharos. Which means pure. And she is pure. And then when I bring this forward into the present. I have another descriptive. It's not quite as biblical sounding. But it's it's a word that really summarizes who she is. And I come up with the word competent. Competent. Of all the things that she may do. She is competent. She can do anything. and She does it with excellence. And I value that. Especially since. She is a pastor's wife. You see, besides carrying the responsibility of being a nurse, she carries the responsibility of being a pastor's wife. And both jobs require competence. One more thing and then we'll wrap it up. 1 Peter 3, verse 7 again. One last word to the men. If you'll take that seventh verse seriously. In fact, you can look it up again later. You can memorize it. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. If you will take that verse seriously, you will be blessed. I mean, you'll be incredibly blessed. If you will value your wife, honor her as a co-heir of the grace of life, your prayers will not be hindered. And the word hindered can mean detained. Remember in the Old Testament, remember Daniel, how he prayed? And for three weeks, God answered immediately. But for three weeks, his prayer or God's response was detained. And, and it can happen. And I simply want to suggest to the husbands, work on your marital relationship so that you will not be hindered so that you will be victorious in your prayer life. You see, Satan knows, as Jesus once stated, a house divided against itself cannot stand." And obversely so, a house that's united is invincible. I said, "A house that's united is invincible. Husbands, love your wives. Honor your wives as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers be not hindered. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. And Lord, just so much, just so much info from your word. But God, we need this. And I pray, Lord, that every man here today would know what it means to be a husband. For those who are yet to be husbands, maybe even some who who will be husbands again. We'll know what's required. And Lord, not one of us will be perfect in this, but we can strive. We can strive to live according to your word. And Lord, I pray your blessing on each and every marriage and marriage to be, because we have marriages tending, t- pending here today. Lord, I pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. At this time, Pastor Brandon is coming to lead us in the Lord's Supper.
3: Kathy, if I could suggest, maybe Grandma's Winter Wonder Week would be appropriate, you think? (laughs) That's that's her daughter cheering for that one. Praise the Lord. If you will prepare your elements this morning. Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 26, you've often heard this portion of Scripture called the Last Supper. And as you know, they're preparing the Passover meal for Jesus, and he he tells them, one of you will betray me. We we understand that it's Judas. And although it may be their last meal, I don't even think they fully comprehend that it is their last time eating with with Christ before he's crucified. But he points to something in the future, uh, and and we will read these verses, but I want to focus on Matthew 26, 29. Having already giving them the bread and giving them uh, the cup of wine. He says to this, mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Do you know that may have been the last supper? There is another supper coming. And it is for those who acknowledge Christ as their Savior. Revelation 19 calls this the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is where the bridegroom also known as the husband to be will reunite with his bride. Revelation 19:9 9 says, "And the angel said to me, write this: Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb." And he said to me, "These are the true words of God." It's appropriate today as we look to communion that we're speaking of a husband Guys, if you want to know what a husband is, as Pastor pointed out the verses in Ephesians, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Folks, today as we look at these emblems, there is no marriage supper of the Lamb without the broken body and blood of Jesus Christ. There is no marriage supper of the Lamb but for the love of Jesus Christ for his bride. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Amen. What a day that will be. I know that's a song. You, you probably, when I, whenever I read a verse, I automatically go to the song. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, hallelujah, what a day that will be. Matthew 26, 26 through 28 says, As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to them, saying, Take this and eat it for this is my body. Let's take the bread today. And he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Father, thank you Thank you, Lord, that we remember Jesus Christ's sacrifice through these emblems today. But Lord, we are reminded of a a greater day to come when we will be reunited and we will feast and celebrate in your presence, God, all because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Lord, now we take this, this juice, Lord, and we remember the blood that was shed for each one of us. Hallelujah. Let's partake together. If you'll stand together with me. Father, we're so appreciative, Lord, that you have guided Pastor to do this series, Lord, but that you have given us the answer in your word. You've shown us what a, a, a godly wife of character looks like through Proverbs and through many scriptures. Lord, and today, as we think about, when I think about myself as a husband, Lord, how much you do love us as your bride. Lord, and we thank you for the opportunity of of being in your presence today. Lord, may may we never take it lightly. May we always come in, Lord, seeking more and more of you, Lord, and that you would just pour into us, God, as we come. Lord, as we leave today, we pray that we would have a, a great week coming up, Lord. I pray that if we're coming back Wednesday night, Lord God, that you would just bless us. Lord, let this week be one of, of uh, blessing in our lives, God. But as a husband and as husbands today, Lord, I pray that we take that challenge and tell our wives what they do mean to us. Lord, and, and be thankful for them in every way. We pray you now, uh, praise you now, God, and we pray that you would just give us a great uh, day in you. We give you the praise in
0: Jesus' name. Amen.